Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. If you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Gospel record of Luke in chapter number 3. The Gospel record of Luke in chapter number 3. As we are continuing through, we're watching the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ as reported through the gospel record of Luke. Through the gospel record of Luke, we are seeing Jesus Christ portrayed as the perfect man. And with this, we've already seen the entering of his public ministry, starting with his baptism, which we mentioned this morning. Well, the gospel record of Luke takes a detour in the midst of what happens next to go ahead and explain as Jesus is now introduced as the perfect man and is introduced as the son of God and the son of man, it takes time to go through a lineage to go ahead and introduce who this Jesus Christ is to the world who may not know the backstory and who it is. So with this, we come to the gospel record of Luke and chapter number three. And if you don't mind, notice with me in verse number 23, the gospel record of Luke chapter three and verse 23. And let's see, it says, and Jesus himself began to be about 30 years of age, be, um, being as was supposed the son of Joseph, which was the son of Helah. And if you don't mind, as we now hit this passage, and if you could forgive me for this once, not to go through the list of names that are happening through all of the verses, we're going to hit here the lineage of Christ through Mary. The lineage of Christ through Mary. Let's go to the Lord together. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you today, we're just asking that you would give us grace, that you would give us mercy, that you would help us to understand the difference of this genealogy, the importance of this genealogy, and that you would show your wisdom and be manifest of what a great, smart, wise God that you are, and that we can trust you with the things that we cannot see. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we approach this passage, many of us, at least in this church, we're familiar with the genealogy of Jesus Christ through Matthew. We spent a lot of time going through an entire series of going through the genealogy of Jesus Christ as according to Matthew, which is tracing the kingly line of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ would have and have inherited the kingly throne through his stepfather Joseph. And that genealogy takes the time to trace this kingly line through the history all the way up to the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, when we come to the gospel record of Luke, we can immediately tell that this genealogy is different than the one that's found in Matthew. Matthew traces the, genea uh, the kingly line, but this one here is tracing the David's bloodline through Mary 
to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Dr. Luke is very careful in this genealogy. Notice with me in verse number 23, as Jesus is now being introduced to the world, and Jesus himself began to be about 30 years of age. Now again, we're speaking about this beginning of his earthly ministry. He's about 30 years old when he begins this earthly ministry. And notice this, beginning or being, and then notice this parenthetical statement, as was supposed. Dr. Luke is very clear on trying to say as it was supposed. Most people just supposed that he came from the lineage of Joseph, that he was blood related to Joseph, that Joseph was his biological father. But even though it may have been supposed, it was not true that Joseph was the stepfather and not the biological father. And so Dr. Luke is going through here. And Jesus himself began to be about 30 years of age, <coughs> being, as was supposed, the son of Joseph, which was the son of Heli. Now, we immediately we begin to see that there's some differences here. This lineage, if you don't mind, uh, let's as we try to trace what's different and why this is important, this lineage inside of the gospel record of Luke does not mention any of the females within the line, within the lineage. Tracing a genealogy through a mother's side is very, very unusual in the ancient world. And so they would not have mentioned any of the females. Now, inside of the gospel record of Matthew, because of the Hebrew people would be familiar with these characters, they did mention some of the females. For example, you had Rahab. You had, with it, you had mentioned... Um, Oh, brain's not working, forgive me. Uh, there was several of the genealogies, Rahab, Ruth, those females were mentioned. Well, because the gospel record of Luke is written to the Greek mind, not to the Hebrew mind, they would not have that biblical Hebrew history behind them. And because they were trying to trace Jesus Christ as the perfect male, in order for it to be accepted, they would trace through this lineage of males through here. This is why Mary's name is not even mentioned. What it does mention here is that Joseph is the son of Heli, though technically uh, he was considered the son-in-law. Back in the ancient world, just like some people do today when they would get married, they would have their father-in-law, they would often call him dad. It would just become part of that line. And so here as it's tracing here, this indeed is the lineage of Jesus Christ through Mary, even though Mary's name is not mentioned. It goes through her father, Mary's father, uh, Heli, and then jumps to Joseph, who would be the, um, the male in that relationship here. But Dr. Luke is very clear of trying to say this is uh, that it was supposed. Now, why is this important? Why go through all of the technicalities and trying to point this out? Well, because of the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ was from the seed of a woman. This was important to the prophecy that Jesus Christ was virgin born. We know that the Bible says that Jesus Christ was going to be born from the seed of the woman. It was be from the line of Abraham. And the Messiah would be blood related to King David. Those conditions had to fit. Now, why is this important? Because God knew that Satan would do everything he could to disrupt the lineage. If you remember, where was that first promise 
that Jesus Christ was going to be born, the Messiah was going to come from the uh, seed of a woman? Well, if you remember, in fact, hold your finger here and let's actually look at it. Look with me in the beginning, the book of Genesis chapter 3. The book of Genesis chapter number 3. In the book of Genesis chapter 3, you have what is recorded as the fall of man. That you had Satan who went and deceived Eve. And she took of the fruit that God told her not to eat. And she took, she ate, saw that it was good for food and gave it to Adam. Adam made a choice and he willfully sinned and he ate the fruit. And because of that, consequences happened. With those consequences that each one blamed the other, Adam blamed the woman, the woman blamed Satan. And so God started to give each one of them the consequences of their actions. In the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter number 3, notice with me in verse 14 as the context said, And the Lord God said unto the serpent, we understand the serpent here is Satan. And the Lord God said to the serpent, so here God is not speaking to Adam. He is not speaking to Eve. They are in the presence. He's speaking to the devil. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all the cattle, above all the beasts of the field, and upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of their life. And, so he's still continuing to address Satan, and I will put enmity between thee, Satan, and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now remember, the first promise of redemption actually was addressed concerning Satan himself. And so was Satan aware that God made a promise? You bet, because God told him point blank in front of witnesses that this is going to happen. That the seed of the woman is going to bruise your head. Now, do you think there's something inside of every creature, including Satan, that they would like to preserve their own life? And so if there is a threat, a prophecy, that this seed of the woman is going to destroy him, bruise his head, crush his head, do you not think that he's at least interested in it? And do you think that Satan, thinking he could defeat God, would do everything he could to sabotage what God is trying to do? You bet. And so we know that God, through the promises, had promised that this Messiah was going to come through the seed of the woman. This Messiah was going to come through the tribe, the lineage of Abraham. Through the tribe of Judah. And was going to be part of blood related of King David. Satan knew all of this because this is a big prophecy. Satan is paying attention. And so as Satan is paying attention, he's recognizing that in order for this prophecy to work, all of these things have to be there. The seed of the woman from Abraham, tribe of Judah, and from the line of David. So, how do we solve this? Well, Satan was doing everything he could to shipwreck this prophecy. And with this in mind, may I show you three different places where Satan did his best to shipwreck this prophecy and to make it so that way God could not keep his promise and therefore Satan would be delivered, 
preserved, exempt from this prophecy, if he could disrupt it, he would save his own life. He would save his own skin and win against God. Does that sound like Satan? something that Satan would like to do? Absolutely. And so we know that Satan is always involved trying to disrupt things. Let's go through history and let's point out three times where Satan specifically did his best to destroy this lineage so it could not come to pass. The first one I'd like to show you is in the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 22. The book of 2 Chronicles chapter 22. Satan is always looking for his opportunity. He found his first opportunity when someone interjected themselves into the kingly line of David. And in this kingly line of David, we find that a, a queen by the name of Athaliah inserted herself. Her mom and dad was Ahab and Jezebel of the northern kingdom of Israel. Jezebel was a Gentile. Athaliah was pretty much a half Gentile. And now she was queen of, of Judah. Now it's my personal belief. This is side. This is my personal belief. This is side. I personally believe that Satan, well, Satan doesn't know everything. That's, that's clear. And Satan does not know when the end times are going to be. Do you know that Satan doesn't know when the tribulation is going to be? He doesn't know. So it is my personal opinion by the study of scripture that every generation Satan prepares an antichrist. Every generation he prepares. He prepares someone who's going to be evil, who's going to hunt down and destroy God's people and do everything they can to disrupt God's plan. Now, because Satan doesn't know when it's going to happen, he prepares one for each generation. Well, Athaliah, in my opinion, is that generation's Antichrist preparation. Now, I'm not saying she is the Antichrist. I'm saying that Satan is preparing for it. And so, here is Athaliah, who has now risen to the place where she is queen. Through her husband... He, she influenced her husband to kill all of his brothers. In fact, notice if you don't mind as we see this, uh, 2 Chronicles 21. Uh, just as a backwards thing here. Uh, 2 Chronicles 21, notice with me in verse 1. Now Jehoshaphat slept with his brothers and was buried in, with his fathers in the city of David. And Jehoram his son reigned in his stead. And he had brethren, uh, had brethren the sons of Jehoshaphat, Azariah and Jehiel, and Zechariah and Azariah and Michal and Sephothah. These were the sons of Jehoshaphat, king of Israel. And their father gave them great gifts of silver and of gold and of precious things with cities in Judah. But the kingdom he gave to Jehoram because he was the firstborn. Now when Jehoram, by the way, Jehoram marries Athaliah. We see that in um, later on in this passage in verse number 6 specifically. But verse 4. Now when Jehoram was risen up to the kingdom of his father, he strengthened himself and slew all his brethren with the sword and they diverse also of the princes of Egypt, Israel. So notice this. Here is a king. He gets up and he's prompted by an evil woman who is his wife to kill all of his brothers. Now why is this significant? 
because God had made a promise that the Messiah was going to come through a seed of a woman, through Abraham, through Judah, and through the line of David. Well, here's the beginning of the trimming of the tree. He got rid of all of the other people who qualified except for himself. He's the only one. Now, he's thinking he's doing this to preserve his line so there's no challengers to the throne. However, Satan's using this to go ahead and get rid of anyone blood-related through David right now. Let's go ahead and get rid of all the kingly line. Notice this, and not only of the, of the kings, but notice, and diverse also of the princes of Israel. That Satan says, let's make sure and let's get everybody else too. And this guy goes on a killing spree just to preserve his reign. Now, this is step one of this Athaliah story. So uh, Jehoram dies and Athaliah now takes charge. When she takes charge, she does something really crazy. Verse number 10, uh, chapter 22, 2 Chronicles 22 and verse 10. But when Athaliah, the mother of Azaziah, saw that her son was dead, so Jotham died, her, uh, Athaliah and Jehoram's son um, Ahaziah reigned, but Ahaziah died shortly after. So when she saw that, um, when Athaliah, the mother of Azaziah, saw her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the seed royal of the house of Judah. So now she arises and she is going to finish off the job that has already been started. The lineage of David has already been trimmed and pruned and now she is trying to cut it off. You can't tell me that Satan's not behind that. If we could get rid of, of this bloodline of David, God can't keep his word. God can't keep his word and I am safe. I'm not going to be destroyed. And I get to rub it in God's face. Ha ha ha. But do you know that God knows how to preserve his people? Notice in verse 11. But Jehoshabath, the daughter of the king, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him from among the king's sons that were slain, and put him and his nurse in a bedchamber. So Jehoshabath, the daughter of King Jehoram, the wife of Jehodiah, the priest, for she was the sister of Ahaziah, hid him from Athaliah, so that she knew him not. And, she, and he was with him, hid in the house of God, six years and Athaliah reigned over the land. By the way, here's a little baby. He doesn't know what's going on. And the midst where turmoil and things are coming. The murder is happening. Pe soldiers are coming in to murder all of the rest of the king's family. Athaliah is killing her own grandchildren. So that way, this lineage is cut off. I meant, don't you have to have something wrong with you? Something outside force, presumably, to ha kill your own grandchildren? I personally believe that Satan is behind this, trying to cut off this line, trying to destroy it, so that way Satan can win. But God says, nope, I'm promised to preserve my line. And so this little two-year-old baby, insignificant, no one would be thinking about a little baby, is taken, hidden, and risen, and raised in the house of God by a godly man of God. And at eight years old, the man of God helps pre, uh, prepare the way for this eight-year-old child to rule. And they get rid of Athaliah. Satan tried, but did not get the job done. 
Well, Satan doesn't give up easy. So let's try it again. We can't... Satan has found a method. We see it all the way back in the book of Numbers. That if you can't conquer God's people outright. If you can't get... If you can't curse God's people outright. What if we can get them to get God so mad that God curses them? Let's do that. We see this pulled out in the book of Jeremiah chapter 36. Jeremiah chapter 36. As time goes on, God preserved that line of David and it continued to be strong. However, in Jeremiah's day, as the destruction of Judah is about ready to come to pass by the Babylonians, God has a godly prophet by the name of Jeremiah who's doing everything he can to try to warn the people, trying to get him to turn. However, the king, who is part of David's kingly line, is not very happy with God, doesn't want to listen to the prophet, and something heartbreaking happens. Now, once again, it is my personal belief that Satan has someone prepared for each generation, and that Satan has a great influence over certain people who have rejected God. So notice, if we don't mind, this whole chapter in chapter 36 is where Jeremiah has... Um, written the word of God, written the book of Jeremiah, has read it out loud. Now the princes have brought it. Let's pick it up in mid-story in verse number 20. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 36 and verse 20. And when they, and they went into the king, into the court, but they laid up the roll, the word of God, in the chamber of Elishamah, the scribe, and told the words in the ears of the king. So the king sent Jehudiai to fetch the roll, and he took it out of Elishamah, the scribe's chamber. And Jehudiai read it, the word of God, in the ears of the king, and the ears of the princes which stood beside the king. And the king in the winter house in the ninth month, and there was a fire on the hearth burning before him. And it came to pass that when Jehodiah read three or four leaves, so three or four big rolls of paper, he cut it with a penknife and cast it, the word of God, in the fire in the hearth until the roll was consumed in the fire that was in the hearth. Yet they were not afraid, neither rent their garments, neither the king nor any of his servants that heard these words. So Jeremiah was used of God to pen part of the book of Jeremiah. So here the king hears the word of God. Everyone else says, man, this is the word of God. Everyone needs to hear this. The king says, ah. I don't see what a big deal is. And so he takes the word of God. He cuts it up and tosses it into a fire. No big deal. No big deal at all. Well, God has enough of this. So what God does is he curses this king. Go down into verse number 30. So what happens is that God pulls aside Jeremiah and says, you know, I think... He thinks that he destroyed my word, but no big deal. Jeremiah, let's just rewrite it. No big deal. God didn't forget. He didn't freak out. He didn't say, what are we going to do? I don't remember what I wrote down. God says, no, no big deal. Just write it again. We'll add more to it. However, the king is not going to get away with this. Verse number 30. Therefore, thus saith the Lord of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, he shall have none to sit upon the throne of David and his dead body shall be cast into the day of the heat into the night frost. What we see here, um, verse number 31, and I will punish him and his seed and his servants for their iniquity and I will bring upon them, upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem and upon the men of Judah, all the evil that I have pronounced against them, but they hearken not. 
Now, God pronounces a judgment upon Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim, by the way, is of the seed of the woman. He is of the seed of Abraham. He is of the seed of David. He is part of the kingly line. And this king aggravated God so badly that God said, listen, I'm done. I curse anyone blood related to this king who sits on the throne. I'm, they're going to die. I'm going to curse them. They're going to be cursed. And you can almost see Satan say, yes, this work. I tried to destroy the line, didn't work. But now God cursed his own people. There's no way this prophecy can come to pass. There's no way it can happen. I got God, checkmate, I win. <laughs> God cursed him and God won't go back on his word. And so in Satan's mind, this is great. God has cursed this man, anyone who's blood related to this king and... Who is going to sit upon the throne? Good. God broke his word. This is great. Well, Satan's not done yet. He doubles down and says, well, let's get another shot to destroy the people. Just to kind of hedge my bets. Just to get this. To and so we come to the book of Esther. Turn with me, if you don't mind, to the book of Esther. Now, what happens is that God does destroy the southern kingdom of Judah and the kingly line of David. 586 BC, the Babylonians came. We know that lineage continued on. However, there was none of them to sit upon the throne anymore after that. Well, as the Babylonians ruled for 70 years, the Persians came and they took over. And as the Persians came and take over, the Jewish people were scattered all throughout the world and all throughout the Jewish kingdom. But Satan says, listen, I can't just leave well enough alone. I need to make sure that I can get rid of these people. And so what he does, remember, it is my personal belief that he raises up Someone who could be an antichrist in each generation. Once again, we see this in the book of Esther in chapter number 3. And we see this with a man by the name of Haman. Notice with me in Esther chapter 3 and let's pick it up in verse 1. These things did King Ahasuerus, or after these things did King Ahasuerus promote Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agite. By the way, the Agite are the historical people from the Amalekites. The Amalekites had been enemies of the Jewish people all the way back to the time of Moses. And so here's a man from the lineage of these people that hated the Jewish people. It's easy for Satan to kind of fan the flames of someone who's the hated enemy for generations. And in uh, verse number three, uh, chapter one, chapter three, verse one. And after these things did King Ahasuerus promote Haman, the son of Hamanitha, the Agite, and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes that were with him. And all the king's servants that were in the king's gate bowed and reverenced Haman for the king so commanded concerning him. But... Mordecai bowed not, did, nor did he reverence. So here's a man by the name of Haman. Haman had worked his way up to be the number two in charge of all of the Persian empire. So much that he said, hey king, we need a law just to show how great I am. Let's make a law. That let's pass a law that not, every time I walk into a room, anytime I walk into a courtyard, anytime I walk to an area, everyone has to bow down. 
No one can give eye contact with me. They have to bow their self down. They have to put their eyes down because I'm so great that no one could look upon me. There's an ego on that guy, right? And so he comes through and says, ha ha, look, I'm great. I'm great. And in the midst of everyone bowing down, there's one guy who doesn't bow. Crosses his arms and looks at him. And his name is Mordecai. Notice as it goes on, verse number 3. Then the king's servants, which were in the king's gate, said to Mordecai, Why transgressest thou against the king's commandment? Hey, Mordecai, you know that's a law. How come you're not obeying that law? Notice Mordecai's response, verse uh, number 4. And it came to pass when they spoke daily to him, he hearkened not unto them. And they told Haman to see whether Mordecai's matters would stand. For he told them that he was a Jew. So he didn't really answer. He just said, listen, I'm a Jew. We don't do that. The reason why is because to a Jewish person, there's only one God. I'm not going to bow down to any man. I'm going to bow down to God only. But everybody starts asking and talking about it. So word gets to Haman about why he doesn't bow down because he's a Jew. Verse number 5, And when Haman saw that Mordecai bowed not, nor did give him reverence, then was Haman full of wrath. How, doesn't, how dare he not recognize how great I am? How come he stands in defiance in the midst of my awesomeness? Verse number 6, And he, Haman, thought to scorn to lay holds on Mordecai alone. So his original plan was just to get rid of Mordecai. But when they had showed him that his the people of Mordecai, the Jewish people, wherefore Haman sought to destroy all the Jews that were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus, even the people of Mordecai. Now, once again, you have Athaliah, who killed her own grandchildren. And it's my personal feeling that Satan's kind of behind that, provoking her to kill her own grandchildren. You have a king who... When God spoke through his word, through a prophet, I think there was a little bit of prompting of Satan. Said, ah, you don't need to listen to God's word. You could do without it. Cuts it up. Doesn't even phase him one little bit. And here now is a man who's second in command of the Persian Empire. Everyone's bowing down except for one guy. And he, that one guy bothers him more than anything else. When he finds out that this one guy is part of a Jewish people, and there's Jewish people all throughout the Persian Empire, he now comes up with a plan to destroy, to have genocide over an entire group of people to get back at one guy. My personal opinion is that Satan's kind of behind that to fan those flames. I meant, how evil do you have to be to kill an entire race of people just to get back at one guy? Again, my personal belief is that, God, that Satan prepares a man to be in the role of an antichrist for every generation. Guess who's this generation's? Haman's. So Haman now makes his plan. And he goes up to the king and says, King Ahasuerus, it's come to my attention that inside of the empire, there's a group of people that hate you, that don't want to obey your laws. And I've taken upon myself to do you a favor to get rid of these people. Now, I know that people equal taxes and you don't want to lose the income. So how about this? I pay to the treasury the money that you would lose from the taxes. So that way you're losing out on nothing. Just give me an opportunity to kill the Jewish people. The king said, all right, if you think that's what's best. All right. And so what Haman does is he puts an official kill the Jew day. 
And just to entice the people, as they now sent this poster into every post office, every station, every bar, every tavern, every uh, inn, putting it everywhere, that this date is official kill the Jew day. And on the bottom line, it says, listen, if you have a Jewish neighbor, not only do you get to kill them, but if you kill them, you get all their stuff. Free of charge. And so what happens is that people started to look over at their neighbor. You're Jewish, right? That's a nice lawnmower. I like that. And that's a nice car. You got a nice house. Cool. Thanks. All right. And they would start planning as people are coveting over their neighbor's stuff. I get to kill them and I get their stuff. And so official kill the Jew day is pronounced throughout the entire kingdom. And the clock begins to tick. Again, Satan is like, you know what? I've already taken care of the king business. You know, let's double down. I've gotten rid of this prophecy that God said. Let's go ahead and get rid of the people just to double check. Just to make sure that there's nothing there. And let's kill every single Jew uh, person in the Persian Empire. By the way, the nation of Israel, the little strip of land, is in the Persian Empire. The Persian Empire spreads all the way up from India, all the way across to Egypt. It goes all the way up from the Black Sea near Russia, all the way down to Africa. The Persian Empire covers everything. And the Jewish people are scattered abroad, even their native land, where you currently have a man by the name of Ezra, and Nehemiah that are doing their best to rebuild a temple, rebuild a wall, and to resurrect the people and have revival. Those people are under the threat of death as well. And so it looks like this is in the books. What do we do? And Satan's like, I got him now. Well, that's where Mordecai, God puts someone else in charge. That a little bit before, a couple years earlier... There was a young lady by the name of Esther. And that Mordecai had raised Esther. And when Esther was picked in a part of a program for the uh, king to pick his new wife. By the way, his first wife had left because of rebellion. Had nothing to do with Jewish custom or anything. But basically, there was a divorce. Now the king's lonely. And it just so happens that God had prepared a young lady to be chaste and virtuous. And to earn the favor out of all the other ladies that went there. All the other ladies put on a pageant. They put on a show. They had the fireworks and the laser displays and whatever they had the equivalents back then. And Esther says, I don't need any of that. I'll just go as myself. And guess who had more favor than all of the other girls who were dressed up and maked up, up and put on a show? Esther did. And so she became the queen. But Mordecai said, don't tell anybody you're a Jew. And so Haman does not know that the king's wife is a Jew. And it comes time where Mordecai is crying and weeping, realizing that kill the Jew day is on the books. And Mordecai is crying and Esther hears about it, sends letters. Hey, what's going on? What's the matter? He sends a copy of the orders to have to kill the Jew day, including the fine print that they kill the Jews. They get their own... They get the Jew stuff. And, and she goes, this is horrible. This is awful. And he says, listen, 
uh, notice with me Esther chapter 4 verse 14. As Mordecai is responding to Esther. Notice what it says. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall there be enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. By the way, here's Mordecai who says God keeps his promises and God's going to preserve the Jewish people a remnant some way, somehow. However, but thou and thy father's house will be destroyed and who knows whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. So he says, Esther... Did you ever think that God made you queen just for this event? That God puts you where you're the queen of the emperor of all Persia just for the purpose of overturning this law. That God puts you in this place, puts you in this position to counteract what evil is opposition. You think God is that smart that God says, I know what Satan's going to try to do, but I already have some pieces in place that he doesn't see, that he doesn't recognize to defeat his plans. And God says, yep. So the story goes on where Esther gets favor with her husband and invites her husband say, husband, <laughs> I want to ask a request of you. Esther, whatever you want, even to a half of the kingdom, you can have it all. Just ask and it's yours. She goes, well, to start off with, I'll give you my request tonight. If we can have a dinner party, just you, me, and Haman. Wonderful. Haman, guess what? You're invited to a, a party. Just you, me, and Esther. Me? This is great. Wonderful. Even the queen recognizes how great I am. This is great. And so he uh, goes off. He's happy. Well, it just so happens. Aren't you glad that it just so happens in the Bible? It's almost like God knows what he's doing. That the king that night couldn't sleep. And I don't know what you do when you uh, can't sleep. But the king, he said, I want you to start reading the laws. Tell me the laws on the book. And uh, that helped me sleep. I meant, what's more boring than reading laws? I meant, don't you, when you get sleepy, just take a part of the constitution and just start trying to see what... Well, the king, as he's uh, having the law read to him, he comes to a place where Mordecai had once saved his life. And nothing had ever been done to honor Mordecai. So the king says, you know what? I need to honor this man. This man saved my life once. Let's go ahead and do this. And so he says, hey, is there any of the officials out there? Well, it happens to be in the middle of the night. Haman. Haman? Good, bring him in here. Haman, Haman. What should I do to someone I want to honor? Now, Haman, being the narcissist that he is, says, you know... King's talking about me and he's allowing me to pick whatever I want. This is great. Wonderful. What do I want? You know, King, if you really want to honor the man that you want to honor, why don't you take your horse, the royal horse, and you put on the royal robes on that man, and you put on the royal crown, and you have one of his trusted servants lead him around all of the city and say, this is the man, this is what happens to the man that the king wants to honor. And he says, I can imagine myself sitting up there and having one of the king's servants all throughout the kingdom, or throughout the city, pointing out and say, this is what happens to honor. Yeah, that's me, that's me. And the king says, that's a great idea. Hey, you go put Mordecai, put him up on a horse, and you go do that same thing. And you go tell all throughout the city that this is what happens to the man you want to honor. Well, this is the guy he's trying to kill. And now he's riding around and he has to in front of everyone 
say, uh, this is what happens to the guy that the king wants to honor. <laughs> Everyone's looking at him. Everyone's watching him. Well, he gets done and he comes back and he's like going to his wife and said, let me tell you, honey, I had the worst day ever. And just as he's telling her what happens, there's a knock on the door and said, hey, Haman, uh, your dinner appointment with Esther the king is here. Oh, I forgot. It. Well, let's go do that. And so as they show up to the dinner, Esther says, king, I brought you here. And he says, good, I want to hear your request. What's your request? King, someone's trying to kill me. Who's trying to kill you? Haman. I'm a Jewish person and he has a law in the books to kill all the Jewish people. He's trying to kill me. Now, Haman didn't know she was a Jewish person. And he's standing there like blah, 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 blah. He, he looks at the king. The king's upset. And he goes, this is not good. Not good at all. Uh, I just had to go spend all day lifting up Haman. And now I find out that the queen's wife, who he loves, and is a Jewish person. He knows he's in trouble. Well, the king goes off and he's mad. And he, he goes out to go think, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Haman begins to beg. Esther, please don't do this. Please, I'm sorry. I didn't know it was you. And it just so happened. I like it how things just so happens in the Bible. That as Esther's backing up, I meant, could you imagine being a lady and having this guy full of power, narcissist, trying to tell you to reverse the law. And what's happening is she's backing up through the house and he's chasing her like, please Esther. And it just so happens that she kind of falls or tries to crawl on the bed to try to get away to put it something for. He trips and falls on top of her. And it just so happens at that time the king walks in. And when he walks in, all he sees, he, he was thinking about how Haman wants to kill his wife. And he walks in and he sees Haman laying on top of his wife and his wife screaming on the bed. He didn't allow any explanation. He said, guards arrest him, close his mouth, don't let him speak, haul him away. Now, it was an accident, but do you think that God just maybe gave him a little push, let him trip on the rug? I mean... The king now doesn't want any explanations and they go and hang Haman. Then what they do, because the laws of uh, the Persians cannot be changed because they consider their emperor a god and a god can't make mistakes. So therefore you can't change the, or you can't reverse the laws or say that law doesn't count. But you can modify it a little bit. So God allowed Mordecai and Esther to get together uh, with the king's approval to change the law. So they have official kill the Judae and they have a law that says that if uh, you kill a Jewish person you get all their stuff. However they also put another clause into it that if you're a Jewish person you under the law are allowed to defend yourself and kill them first. Well the Jewish people said hey you remember how you've been telling how you're going to kill me? Guess what? And the Jewish people killed all of their enemies that day, on that official day that came up. And God preserved a kingdom, or a people. Now, Satan says, well, that was kind of horrible, but I still got God. Because remember that king who God cursed himself? What is he going to do about it? We go back to the gospel record of Luke. 
we spend a long time to get around where in the world, why is this so important? In the Gospel record of Luke. And if you don't mind, as we see this lineage here, in the Gospel record of Luke, chapter number 3, I want you to jump down to verse number 31. So we got a whole list of names, which if you forgive me, I'm not going to attempt to pronounce them today. It will just bog down everything. But verse number 31, which was of the son of Mela, which was the son of Manan, which was of the son of Matha, which was of the son of Nathan, which was of the son of David. So Solomon became the king after David. And that produced the kingly line. But God said that there was someone who was going to be blood related to David who was going to be the seed of the woman. So whereas everyone was concentrating in the gospel record of Matthew on the kingly line, God says, don't worry, I have a silent line that no one's paying attention to that's going to go through the mother, Mary. And so we have Jesus blood related to David just as God promised. Remember that it was going to be the seed of the woman going through the lineage of Abraham, going through Judah, going through the lineage of David. He didn't say Solomon, the lineage of David. And so you have where God said, listen, you may thought you won. I knew what I was doing the whole time. Now, what does this apply to us? We have a God who knows what he's doing. You may not see everything that's going on. And may I say, even Satan cannot see everything that's going on. But God has a plan. And God knows what he's doing. And we can trust him. God will fulfill his word. It may not be the way that you expect it. But God says, don't worry, I've got this handled. We can Trust him. And so whereas Satan has done everything he can to disrupt God's plan, God says, I'm not worried about it. It may look like Satan's winning. He's not. I've got things well in charge, well in hand. I know what I'm doing. So maybe you have something in your life where you say, you know what? It just seems like everything's disrupted. May I encourage you? God knows what he's doing. You can trust him. And God may be doing something. He may be setting things in order. He may be preparing things that you can't even see yet. You know, with every answered prayer, God had to put something in place to be ready to answer that prayer. God had to be preparing something in a way that you can't even see for it to work. God knows what he's doing. His timing is perfect. His way is perfect. God knows what he's doing. Maybe you just needed that extra encouragement today to say, God, I trust you. I acknowledge I don't see everything and I don't know everything, but I can trust you. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time 
to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920-530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.